This episode was recorded on August 18th, 2023. Is that a bra size? Kennesaw <laughs> Mountain Landis was born in Millville, Ohio on November 20th, 1866, a descendant from Swiss Mennonites. Those people have to know how to party. Swiss Mennonites. Oh, yeah. Um, he was named uh, after the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain in Georgia. Um who decided to do that is up to some discussion because not a lot of people are uh, claiming to, to, you know, not everyone wants to have, say I was the one that picked out Kennesaw as a first name. No one seemed to ever call him Ken. Like, that would seem like, wouldn't you just, it would be Ken Landis. Saw. Saw. Kennesaw just seems, Saw. I would not call anybody Kennesaw. Like, hey, Kennesaw, we, yeah, you? Like, the, in English, oh, there so should the be wife. a limit of syllables in your first I, name. Good call. Three is too many. Three is way too, <laughs> many. too many. Like, let's One get Jonathan's out of here. Well, Kennesaw's. As, great, great Aren't you a Zachary? A great take. Uh, I Zach. go by, yeah, I go by Zach. Zach. <laughs> he broke it down yeah, to one. But like Ulysses, we're not going by Yuli. Uli. <laughs> Call him Uli. 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 What's his middle name? Uh, um, Daniel. See, we go by Daniel. Dan. Dan. Boom. That's his dad. UD. Cut it down. Cut it down. Uli, like, Uli D would be a cool name. That's his rap name. People put me at B all the time. D, one of the call time rates. Reduced to a letter. <laughs> he was a, he grew up. He, he I guess he was known Kenny as a kid, but then never as an adult. Grew up working hard on a farm. Left school at fifteen because he couldn't pass algebra. Kind of me, banged around. Me and Kenneth saw have that in, in common. <laughs> I had to take it twice in high school. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's not really that hard. There shouldn't be letters in math. There shouldn't be imaginary numbers. Imaginary numbers are bullshit. There's, there's an infinite, literally an infinite number of numbers. And why do you have it? You have to make up new numbers? There's an infinite number of numbers that have infinite numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. When you put in the decimal points. Um, in eight, but he um, ended up working in Republican Party politics. Now, this is Republican Party politics in 1886. Which is, it's still the party of Lincoln yeah, and Grant in 86. Because he helped out a friend of his, Charles F. Griffin, as Secretary of State. And he applied to be an attorney. In 1886, in Indiana, to be an attorney, you had to prove that you were 21 and of good moral character. There were no educational requirements whatsoever to be a... Um, an attorney, uh, that was very similar to the way Rutherford B. Hayes was an attorney who had never gone to law school one day in his life. So you just kind of figured it out as you went along. When did the American Bar Association come to be? Like, when did that? I don't know. Well, of course, you got to be a doctor, too, if you just said you were a doctor. Sure. Right? Better. George Santos got to be a uh, George Santos got to be a, a representative by claiming that he was, I don't know, all kinds of things. Gotta respect sure. it. <laughs> Gotta, respect. Gotta respect. I mean, just if your name is Kennesaw, you got to be a lawyer. Like, yeah, pretty much. You can't be like a farmer. Your name. Well, he was a farmer. Well, but yeah, yeah, but he stopped. Yeah, he stopped. He outgrew it. <laughs> so once he became an attorney, started serving as an as an instructor for the law. Like he became a law teacher. Though he didn't go to law school, he became a teacher for law. I guess it's. Only those that do can teach. Didn't Kim Kardashian try to become a lawyer in, like, California? 
pro- well, yeah, her father was was a yeah. famous. Yeah, I think sure. in California you don't have to go to law school; you can just take the bar. That's true, almost everywhere you can just take the bar. But obviously, it's hard. Yeah. And uh, he taught with Clarence Darrow, who uh, worked with him a lot on uh, municipal reform. He then, even though he was a Republican, started working with a federal judge, Walter Q. Gresham, that was appointed by Grover Cleveland. Cleveland blamed him for a leak about his Hawaiian policy. I forget what Grover Cleveland's Hawaiian policy was. But I can it, guarantee it, it wasn't, wasn't great. Good. Yeah, no, yeah. It wasn't good. There, there was some some phrase of like aliens or yeah, well, pejorative for natives. Well, they the uncivilized. They, like, they absolutely gave the Dole Company full full rights to government. Yeah. Um, they did not really take the Hawaiian monarchy seriously. Um, but anyway, this was leaked out and. Um, he demanded that Gresham fire Landis because he blamed uh, Landis for it. Gresham says, I will resign first. And um, Land- so Cleveland backed down. I think this is in the first of his non-consecutive terms, but it could have been the second. Um, no, it's in the first of his non-consecutive terms. Uh, second of his non-consecutive terms. And Gresham died in 1895. He offered the post of, of ambassador to Venezuela to Landis, he returns to Chicago, becomes the postmaster, becomes a postmaster. It's married; they have two children. Builds up his law practice, and then he becomes a judge. And he becomes a famous judge because he put on kind of a show. Landis, um, Landis was a very strange-looking man. Um, Jack Reed who is the subject of the movie and book Reds said that he looked like um, Andrew Jackson, three days dead. Um, yeah. I just looked at a picture of Kennesaw Mountain Landis. If, if he was around now, like he would have got arrested with Pee Wee Herman. In that <laughs> sex theater. He, um, you know, I don't think he'd ever owned a brush hairbrush his hair was all he owned but like it was part of his just persona he refused to wear a robe because you know the black robes because he thought it was um separated him from others yes he um that's the point (laughs) he would make a lot of comments he had an elderly defendant uh who he he gave a five-year sentence to and the elderly defendant told him I won't be able to live long enough to complete it. And Landis said, well, you could try, can't you? Which is pretty good. But in another case, when, he, that when the jury found um, some, uh, a man guilty for stealing jewels, he st- his wife stood next to him holding their baby, and uh, Landis told the, the young man to just go home with his wife and daughter because he didn't want her raised by a convict. So we may have given judges too much power <laughs> from like the beginning, kind of all over the place. However, one place we would like him. He was very, very, very anti big corporations. And he got the standard oil case in 1907. Rockefeller formed some trusts. Congress passed the uh, Sherman Trust Antitrust Act. Um, 
in, in the 1890s, but Roosevelt started actually using it. And Rockefeller, of course, was the king of the trusts. Uh, Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, Amoco, Continental, they were, he had owned all of them, along with Standard Oil. And the uh, Commissioner of Corporations, uh, James Rudolph Garfield, not the Garfield Lewis president, brings up 6,428 counts of violations of the Anti-Truck uh, Trust Act. It looks like this is going to be go nowhere. It gets down to 1,903 counts totally. And the jury found him guilty. And Landis found finds him $29,240,000. What is that in like What's today's? Just that for inflation. Oh, yeah. uh, it's. Yeah, so after doing the math, it's $800, $900 million in today's time. Right. Which would be a healthy fine. Not for Rockefeller. I mean, he could have, he could have just oh, written a yeah, check. He would have been the richest man he would, today by billions. The original titan of industry. Right. Yeah, he, he and uh, uh, Andrew Carnegie got into a battle about who was going to be the richest person, and he just cut wages across the board. The book Tycoon. The word tycoon is the book Tycoon. If you want to be angry for 900 pages, which I was, uh, it's great. It's really good. He also makes Rockefeller testify. So it's packed. He gets to the courtroom. There's a mob. He makes him wait through everybody else's cases. Rockefeller goes last. So he's, he's handling, you know, divorces and stuff. And then Rockefeller says, look, I know nothing about how my business works. I don't know anything. I don't do that. And then he left. Um, Roosevelt was very excited that this came down. Rockefeller, um, was playing golf when he was told about the, the fine and turned to the people he was playing golf with and said, judge Landis will be dead a long time before this fine is paid. And then went out, shot the best round of his life. Um, and of course the verdict was, the verdict was uh, reversed and then the Supreme court refused to hear it. And so it never happened. But it was a pretty good case for us. The second case, less good. The Federal League brings a suit, lawsuit against the owners under the Sherman Act because of the reserve clause. They said, we cannot get players whose contract is run out because they're banned from baseball. That's unfair. Competi- you know, it's unfair to the competition because now they're not just competition with another team, they're in competition with another league. Under the reserve course, players could only sign a uh, contract with, with their former team forever. And the, pl- the contracts could be terminated on a 10 days notice, but... Only the team can do it. So you get hurt, they can just stop paying. You're done. So yeah. you're, you're, there's no guaranteed contracts like the NFL right now. Even It's worse than the NFL. All right. Landis gets the case. People are thinking, Federal League's very excited. It's going to Landis. He's already shown his antitrust. 
But Landis is an enormous baseball fan. Would often try to end his his court days early and go to a White Sox or a Cubs game, depending on who was in town. He's a huge baseball fan. And Landis cannot see this as a legal case. Just can't. He said, both sides must understand that any blows at the thing called baseball but would be regarded by this court as a blow to a national institution, which is certainly not what he said about Standard Oil. Um, George Wharton Pepper, who is the National League's chief counsel, later became a senator, and talked about the players as labor. And Landis interrupted him and said, as a result of 30 years of observation, I am shocked that you call playing baseball labor. So this looks bad. Court case ends in January. They're hoping it starts the season. They can start the season with, you know, all these players who are not under contract being able to play. Federal League is. Doesn't doesn't issue a ruling. Not through the spring. Not through the summer. Not through the World Series. The whole year passes, and he does not issue a ruling. Finally, the Federal League closes, just folds. And then he says that the the, uh, issue is moot. So, we know he's a baseball fan. In fact, if we did the first ever podcast in 19, any year before 1940, we would be the Kennesaw Mountain Landis Collective. You, you mean a radio show. <laughs> You're describing a radio show. <laughs> the Kennesaw Mountain Landis Hour. Yeah. Variety Hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's singing and hand puppets and sports and politics. This is not an important case, but it's, it's really cool. He also got the baby Irene case. Um, this white, widow of a prominent banker, Annie Dolly Ledgerwood Matters, and you know she you know she's rich because she goes by four names. Brought a baby girl home from a visit to Canada, and said the child was her late husband's, and that uh, he had left her in a state uh, left her in a state of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But a shop girl from Ontario shows up, they, uh, Margaret Ryan, and says, no, no, that's my baby. She has a writ of habeas corpus from Canada. Um, Ryan stated that she had given birth to the baby in an Ottawa hospital, but had been told her baby had died because they gave it to this woman. There's no DNA, of course, so they're relying on witness testimony. Um and finally, after much thought, he gives the baby back to Ryan. People were call- People began calling him uh, King Solomon because he was making a decision. Oh, that's solid. Yeah, papers. Well, he- ba- papers back in the day were funnier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. When, when, when you weren't uh, worried about uh, fake objectivity or actual objectivity. Yeah, when the Tribune. Facts- yeah, <laughs> when the Tribune Publishing Company didn't own you, right. it would be pretty good. And. Um, <coughs> But this case also was reversed by the Supreme Court. He did not really do well 
with higher courts because they said, well, it's a Canadian case. Well, you, you can't rule on that, which it is a Canadian case because the baby was taken in Canada. I mean, you know, who, who you could say you have to go back to Canada to have it heard. You can't say you get the baby. Could have set precedent for Elian Gonzalez. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Janet Reno stormed it with a bunch of AK-47s. Ah, he could have been a great Little League World Series pitcher. <laughs> the next Daniel Monte. The next Daniel Monte. Daniel Monte before Daniel Monte. Sure. Right. He would have just had to wait till he was 15. That's right. Post-puberty. <laughs> he also um, had an IWW case with the Wobblies. And in fact, in a previous show, you talked about Big Bill Haywood. Yes. I remember that because it happened 20 minutes ago. And... The IWW was saying not to join the Army, not not to turn down the draft, to refuse to report to the draft. So Big Bill Haywood's indicted. Um, 40 people were in. He dismisses the charges um, among a lot of folks. 113 of them are heard, including Big Bill Haywood. This is where uh, John Reed talks about and says, he sits small on the bench, huge bench, sits a wasted man with untidy white hair and emaciated face in which two burning eyes are set like jewels, parchment-like skin split by a crack for a mouth, the face of Andrew Jackson, three years dead. That is pretty good writing. The, the, the prosecution makes a closing argument in August. Landis does instructions to the jury, and a lot of people there thought that Landis's charge was pointing to acquittal. But when they come in and find them guilty, Landis really hits them hard. A couple of people only got 10 days in jail. Everybody else got at least a year. And Haywood and 14 others got 20 years. Haywood uh, made bail and then sailed to Russia. Haywood spent a lot of his time in court. So he's sitting on the bench, and then the 1919 World Series happens. As many of you know, this is the famous Black Sox series where nine players are accused of throwing the World Series to the Reds. Andrew, uh, what's his name? Arnold Rothstein Arnold. was the gangster who supposedly made $300,000 on this. Abe Attell, a former featherweight champion, and a former Major League Baseball player, Billy Maharg, were involved, uh, although Rothstein was never indicted for any crimes on this. This was a nine-game series. Cincinnati uh, won at 5-3. Lefty Williams lost three games. Eddie Chiotti lost two. They were the two best pitchers on the team. Williams had maybe the world worst World Series ever. It's hard to lose three games in a World Series. It happened not too long. George Frazier lost three three games in the World Series, I think, for the Yankees. George Frazier? Who's that? Uh, well, we'll look it up. Uh, <laughs> we, we'll come back with, we'll come back with, with a, an update on this uh, after uh, when we're done. I don't um, know a Yankee pitcher by that name. Yes. Well, he was a reliever. Um, but the other, Swede Risberg was famously kind of a crook. Chick Gandel, who was definitely a crook, um, but but more famously, Buck Weaver, who who played brilliantly in the series, and Shoeless Joe Jackson, 
who also played brilliantly in the series, were also involved. Williams, uh, Buck Weaver never took a dollar. He he clearly never got took any money. Williams did take money, but he said he didn't do anything for it. Um, this story it was heavily rumored, but it breaks in September when Billy Mayhark, uh, who was pissed at Rothstein, um, and the players because he thought they were going to throw game three and they didn't and he had to put all of the money he had on game three, which was not a good choice, um, gave an interview and now it's out in the open. Um, the players on the White Sox, now this is September 28th of 2020. All the players on the White Sox who are mentioned are suspended. They're two games out of the, out of the, out of the uh, first place at this point. Um, and then so the Indians were able to, to win it. Um, Actually, they're, they were with the percentage points. They, um, the Indians were able to win it, and they decide the 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 um, owners decide they need someone to run the show here because gambling had become a huge issue. Um, it had been governed by a three man commission, which was Ben Johnson, Gary Herman, and John Heidler. John Heidler uh, was the uh, president nationally, the Boston Bees. Uh, Johnson was the president of the American League. And Cincinnati Reds owner, uh, Gary Herman. Um, so Heidler says, we want a man as chairman who will rule with an iron hand. Baseball has locked a hand like that for three for years. It is now worse than ever. Therefore, it is ob- our object to appoint a big man to lead the new commission. Gambling had become an enormous problem in baseball for a decade. Uh, Hal Chase... Um, Acknowledge throwing games, and they just let him play. Um, and so the owners come to decide that they're going to go to uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis. He heard uh, heard the salary, uh, heard him out. He said that he would do the job for $50,000 on, con- on a condition he could remain on the federal bench. Um, so he was allowed a $7,500 re- reduction in his salary reflect his pay but then they gave him that money as a business expense which meant he didn't have to pay taxes on it so it was actually better for him and landis insisted on his contract that he could not be dismissed by team owners have his pay reduced or even be criticized over them and by them in public he also had nearly unlimited authority over every person employed in the major or minor leagues from owners to bat boys including the ability to ban people for life. In the 20s, he did ban the owner of the Phillies for life because he bet on his own team. Even back then, not a good bet. That's a precedent that years later, yeah. I mean, years later. Yeah, he rose. rose. Right. I mean, it wasn't remotely a precedent, and he he made it a precedent immediately. Um. Yeah, in past one of these, you've talked about how gambling was just like, prevalent in these leagues oh yeah um it was it was everywhere um everyone knew it um you know trish speaker and ty ty cobb supposedly agreed to to throw a game like they're they're gonna play two games and they like tigers would lose one and and the indians would lose the other it's the end of the season neither team was in contention um landis chose not to investigate that because it was like a 
1916 thing, and this is now 1923 or whatever. What he hears yeah. about, he goes, "Yeah, we're not doing that." Um, the Black Sox were charged in a criminal case. Um, unfortunately, all of the confessions that they had written disappeared. This is Chicago in the twenties. Um, Al Capone. Yes. Yeah. Sean, Al Capone. Con- Sean Connery and, uh, Elliot Ness. And Elliot yeah. Ness. Have not it it, it, it is yet. believed that Rothstein ran afoul of Capone because he got shot walking home from dinner. Documented on the show Boardwalk Empire. Yes. Yeah. So the, the prosecution had to dismiss the original indictments because they didn't have anything anymore. And, they brought new charges, so Landis placed them on the ineligible list until the case is over. Kaminsky releases the seven guys left. One of them was uh, no longer in the league. And they're demanding a five-year prison term. Prosecution was going to demand a five-year prison term for defrauding the public. Uh, on August 2nd, 1921, the jury returns a not guilty verdict against all defendants Everyone cheers. The judge comes down and shakes everybody's hand. The players go to a a Italian restaurant and party. And on the morning of August 3rd, Landis issues a statement. Quote, regardless of the verdict of juries, no player that throws a ball game, no player that undertakes or promises to throw a ball game, no player that sits in a conference with a bunch of crooked players and gamblers where the ways and means of throwing ball games are planned and discussed and does not promptly tell his club about it, will ever play professional baseball. Of course, I don't know that any of these men will apply for reinstatement, but if they do, the above or at least a few of the rules will be enforced. Just keep in mind, regardless of the verdict of juries, baseball is competent to protect itself against crooks both inside and outside the game. Rob Nyers said with that single decision, Landis might have done more for the sport than anyone ever. Certainly, you know, uh, that, that was his quote. Um, Buck Weaver's the one that, and if you've ever seen the movie Eight Men Out, where Jack Cusack plays him, Buck Weaver's the one who said he heard it, he begged the guys not to do it, but they were his friends. He was on the team with them. Wasn't going to ride him out. And he never got to play baseball again. Um... That's the one that's a little rough. I don't find the shoeless Joe Jackson one rough at all. He took the money. You can't take the money. Um, but Weaver didn't take any money. Um, Weaver had 324 in the series. Uh, Jackson had 375. I mean, Jackson's excuse was, yeah, but I screwed over the gamblers. I just didn't do any of the things I said I'd do. Weaver's excuse was, I didn't deal with the gamblers. Uh, I don't know. It's a clear line of like <laughs> demarcation between what each of them did. Landis also felt that the Black Sox scandal had been initiated by people involved in horse racing, which, of course, is true. Rothstein was a big horse race guy. Mayhard was a big horse race guy. Artel was a big horse race guy. And he said, by God, as long as I have anything to do with this game, they'll never get a hold on to it. So New York Giants owner Charles Stoneham and manager John McGraw purchased Oriental Park Racetrack in Havana, Cuba, (laughs) because... Even in Cuba, people were really sensitive to uh, stereotypes back then. Oriental Park Racetrack. Landis told Stoneham and McGraw, if they did not sell the, the horse uh, the horse track, they were out of baseball. 
and they quickly put the horse track back on the market. McGraw famously did not want players on his team that were, were unwilling to bet on their team. Yeah, you play harder. That's what he believed. Yeah, you, I get it. <laughs> I don't think it's great. He banned uh, Joe Gaydon. He banned all kinds of people. Uh, Eugene Paulette, Hal Chase, a bunch of them. In total, 18 people, players from the game, were banned from gambling. And he said, um, uh, Landis' biographer, whose name I get, Petruza, wrote, before 1920, if one player approached another player to throw a contest, there was a very good chance he would not be informed upon. Now there's an excellent chance he would be turned in. No honest player wanted to meet the same fate as Buck Weaver. Without the forbidding example of Buck Weaver to haunt them, it is unlikely Man and Sand would have been snitched on by their f- fellow players. After Landis's unforgiving treatment of the popular and basically honest Weaver, they dared not do so. And once pr- prospectively crooked players knew that honest players would no longer shield them, the scandal stopped. And really, the next gambling case we hear is Rose. Yeah, I mean, he 65 years later, 70 years later. Yeah, I mean, he cleaned up the game. He absolutely cleaned up the game. Gave it legitimacy. Absolutely. He did the anti-C-League model. Yes, right, exactly. But like C-League, they're both in the Hall of Fame. The thing that I thought of when I saw this is it is not dissimilar to DCF saying if you know about a teacher having a relate doing something inappropriate and you don't report it, you lose your certification. Uh, That's the new rule, sort of. Yeah. And it's like, so people were like, nobody ever turned anybody in. And now everybody does. Um, I think about stuff that, I, I mean, I twice went up to teachers and told them, if you if I ever see you speak like that to a, a female student again, I'm going to hit you. And I was both much bigger and much younger than they were um, at the time. Um, well, I, they're probably both dead. So I, I, that probably is over now. And now I would turn them in because I have to. I'm not going to lose my certification. Um, he also created the minor league system um, because the minor leagues, people were under the reserve clause in the minor leagues, but the league itself could prevent players from being promoted out of that league. And that happened. The International League in the late 19, 19 like the 19s and early 20s, the Baltimore Orioles of the International League were among the best teams in the world. They had Lefty Grove as a pitcher. They wouldn't let him go. He said uh, several minor leagues said they were not subject to the draft. Landis fought for the inclusion of these leagues, feeling that non-draft league players could prevent players from advancing as they became more skilled. And by 1924, he had succeeded. And the minor leagues, as we knew them forever, basically are created. Not 100% sure that was the best thing possible, but it's what happened. Um, he created the all-star game. That was his idea. Or at least he was a commissioner to put it in. Where it's a little tricky is that the color barrier. Some people say that he was pretty liberal on racial issues. You know, two African-American newspapers defended him against the 1920 efforts, uh, 21 efforts to impeach him from his job, a uh, judgeship. He gave up the judgeship after a year. However, a number of baseball authors have, uh, this is coming from the article I read, have ascribed racism to him. Um, 
in the story of the Negro Leagues, so James Banks wrote called the Pittsburgh Crawfords, uh, says that Landis um, made little effort. He was a Southerner. Uh, well, born in Ohio, raised in Indiana, which is basically the South. Little effort to disguise his racial prejudice during 25 uh, years in office and remained steadfast foe of segregation. Um, a number of authors say that Landis bans major league teams from playing against black teams uh, for fear that the white teams would lose, um, though the Dodgers did it. The Dodgers would play black teams uh, in Cuba. Um, but it's, it's, I think, not insignificant that they sign, that Ricky signs the uh, Jackie Robinson uh, to the Montreal Royals in 1946, after Landis dies, uh, he waited for Landis to die to do it. Um, so uh, in 1941, he was involved in base maintaining Major League Baseball through the war. Uh, he met with Roosevelt, but he has a heart attack in 1944. Um, he comes back, continues in his job. His contract is due to expire in 1946. This is still 1944. So they just, the owners vote him another seven-year term. They, like, that would have been, I mean, he, he dies on November 25th, 1945, of uh, 46. He would have been commissioner if he had served out that term for 32 years. He was a commissioner for 25, which seems like an insanely long period of time to be the baseball commissioner Roselle took 25 years? I was gonna, I was just about to say, I think Roselle's the only other, uh, you know, Stern. How long did Stern serve? 20, it wasn't 25. wasn't 25, 20, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a man who did straddle politics and sports. Yeah. Totally. You, you let off with his name, and my first thought was, oh, first commissioner of baseball. And you flushed out, like, I had no idea anything about his life pre- uh, I knew he was a Black judge. Stars, you know? I knew he was a judge because they call him Judge Landis in Eight Men Out. But that's right, that's right. Um, oh, I never put that together. I thought that was just like a nickname. No, he was. A, I knew he was a judge, but he. Um, I didn't know, like he actually had quite a career. I mean, the Carnegie Rockefeller stuff is like that's super interesting. That's. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, anyway. it goes to show, like, the people of that era, like, could be good on some things, considered liberal, progressive, and then at the same time, hold views that are completely contradictory to that. You know, taking somebody's baby. Yeah. Sure. I mean, that's trust busting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, just to close the circle on George Frazier. Yes. Well, you said recently. There has been George, a recent Yankee pitcher. George Frazier. Uh, became the second pitcher to lose three games in a single World Series in the 1981 really? World Series okay. for the Yankees, which had the strike year. Yankees-Dodgers. No right. Shit. No, so that seems recently to me. No, no, no. That's more recent. Than I I should have that. It in is life. in two of the four. It is in 50, 50% of our life? No, you were born after 81. No, no, no. That's, I, I consider 81 to be recent enough. I, yeah. I just that name. Yeah. He lost three games out of the bullpen. Right. Um. And so that's not the Yankee team wasn't very good. That was the weird playoffs where they had like first half, second half. Yankees yeah. were good in the first half and then terrible in the second half, but they made it because they were good in the first half. Right. And the Expos 
were second in both halves. Right. The Expos had the best record in baseball and did not make the playoffs. They got screwed in 81 and 94. Yep. They, you know, strikes, man. Yeah, it was... Um, or lockouts. Lockouts, yeah. These were not strikes. They were lockouts. lockouts excuse me. Uh, but um, they're still called strikes. They, no, nobody ever fixes it. All right. So that was our bonus episode. I hope you learned uh, enjoyed learning about Kennesaw Mountain Landis. I uh, recommend the book Betrayed, which kind of led me to do this. It's a modern... Uh, Read a modern study of the um, 1919 Black Black Sox in, in providing a much greater context than Nate Menow and uh, also seems to be, frankly, a lot better research than Nate Menow. The real version, the Hollywood version. Yeah. Right. No, the book, not the movie. The, the movie's great. John Sales. And with that, we'll say goodbye to the Bill Bradley Collective. As always, we thank you for joining us here. And if you like today's episode, smash that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Let's help grow the collective brand. We'll see you all next week on the Bill Bradley Collective.